Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Brusky, and I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action, and welcome to another week from, at this time, pretty cold Wisconsin, snowing today in April. We have with us Robert Craig, Executive Director here at Citizen Action. Robert, good to see you. Good day, everyone. Uh, as we mentioned last week, our, our partner from the Wisconsin Working Families Party, Rebecca Lynch, is going to be out for a about a month, so she is taking a good chunk of time off after um, a lot of hard work in both the 2018 elections and then right into spring elections here in, in the Milwaukee School Board. So, uh, Rebecca, we hope you are enjoying your time in New York with your family. So, Robert, we've got a lot of news. Um, we are going to start the show with uh, just talking about a number of uh, current event topics that have been going on this week, but we intend... Uh, to also talk in depth about the state budget, in the particular the Joint Finance Committee public hearings, which are underway last week in Janesville. We had the first one, and yesterday, uh, uh, the recording of this on Thursday, Wednesday, uh, we had the second in Oak Creek. So we'll talk more about that. We'll talk about health care, all the members that are coming out, and the issues that seem to be rising to the top at these hearings. We also have our installment of Sarah What the Godlewski Does the State Treasurer Do? Sarah is going to join us to talk more about what she has in the state budget um, that she would like to see in order to improve what the state treasurer's office can do. So, uh, oh, we'll also talk a little bit about the Marquette poll that just came out, the new Marquette Law poll. So, Robert, the big news, eh, a lot of big news, but one of the big in-state news is this week was uh, Judge Lisa Neubauer conceded yesterday, so that would be Wednesday morning. Uh, Tuesday, all of the county canvases were complete. Uh, the margin, I'm assuming, did not change, and there was a decision to not pursue a recall. Robert, your thoughts? I, I know we talked a bit about this last week and certainly talked about, I think last week we kind of presumed that this was going to be the fate um, but just wanted to check in, if, see if you had any thoughts uh, now that it is done. Well, I, it's very unfortunate, as we've said, and it means we're not in a position as progressives to take the court back next year, though we need to try to keep it a one-vote margin next year. It doesn't um, obviate the need to do that. Uh, it is a general shift where the uh, strength of the blue wave is dissipating, not so much because the blue wave is dissipating, because there's also a red wave now, and there's new confidence. There's na I think the national scene, we probably didn't emphasize that enough last week, is very important. Uh, Trump's trustworthiness rating has gone way up in the Marquette uh, law poll, the latest one. And in addition, there's been a continuing leakage of non-college men, um, and so much so that the Marquette poll, even though it came out, we'll talk later about issue areas, uh, was a more Republican sample because non-college white men are continuing to move to the right and probably the fake uh, quiddle of uh, and, uh, you know, uh, so alleged clearing of Trump that is probably being completely stage managed by an unethical attorney general, William Barr, is probably affecting things in the short term. We'll see what happens yeah, if we ever get the full Mueller report. And certainly we brought that up a little bit. Rebecca talked about that. But you're absolutely right, Robert. I, you know, There's a lot of discussion of the red wave and um, not only what's going on nationally, but we certainly talked about just sort of the way this election played out in terms of really mobilizing the conservative base and the Christian base around some of the issues that were run on. But also just, I mean, the reality is uh, Hagedorn is the real deal. Uh, for those social conservatives, and actually does 
uh, express their values uh, and, and speaks to them very profoundly. And, 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 and so that does matter. Um, I certainly talked about that as it relates to, you know, when you have a very strong motiv base motivator on one side and someone on the other side extraordinarily well qualified but running, you know, a fairly traditional judicial race. Um, maybe an issue there in terms of just the connection and motivation of a base and low turnout. And it does speak to a real continuing division, Democratic Party, which you do not see so much in the Republican Party. There are a lot of Democratic strategists and operatives who think that you do not run on controversial issues and that you run to the middle and you run kind of 80% uh, issues. There's been a lot of critique of that over the years. I think it's completely wrong. So do a lot of other people, and uh, we'll talk about it later. But it's certainly benefiting candidates like Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, that they're actually running on something. And we did have this problem with a the, with the quote unquote liberal justice running as just a judge who's qualified, and the Republican was able much more effectively to tie into the red meat of the base and 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 drive turnout. So we need to continue to get the Democratic party fully to understand that large parts of it do but large parts of it are still operating in the old paradigm yeah and i you know we had a blog up um from uh oh sorry name escapes me bill kaplan right bill writes a weekly blog for us and i think he really actually hit it on the head here with this uh i'm going to read this quote um Missing from the Neubauer campaign was a message and strategy to appear to rural, suburban, and urban voters. Surely the Neubauer campaign and supporters could have explained why the court is important for regular folks. Bread and butter pocketbook issues are decided by the court. Consumer rights involving defective products, environmental and pollution lawbreaking, workplace rights, protections for minorities, women, farmers, homeowners. Moreover, the court decides safeguards for a democratic society like corruption, gerrymandering, these are concepts, not court cases, right? So we can talk about these concepts. We don't have to get into the details of particular cases. And I think it's a call to have a justice uh, a candidate that would actually speak to these values that might, you know, energize our base and, and quite frankly, just regular folks, you know, throughout the state um, that Hagedorn was equally energizing from the Christian conservative base. So um, I think we have accurately covered that. Um, and as Robert mentioned, it, it is a lost opportunity. There will be a Supreme Court election in 2020. Justice Kelly did announce last week he will be running again. We have already heard here um, um, Ed Falone has jumped in. Uh, but then there, after the 2020 Supreme Court race, there won't be another one for, for I think, two or three years. So um, it does mean, as Robert said, we're looking at probably at least four years of a, a conservative majority. So another issue this week, Robert, and I know uh, you have some comments on this. The appeals court sided with uh, Governor Evers on appointments. Uh, and this, to refresh folks, uh, the Republicans, one of the things during the lame duck, jammed a bunch of appointments through. Robert, this is big news. And in particular, Senator Fitzgerald had some comments as it relates to this that are very fitting, given we just talked about the Supreme Court and its politicization you're, you're, uh, just a little more on that. Well, yes, we'll see what the state Supreme Court does with this. I'm not optimistic, not on legal grounds, but because they're politicians with robes on. That's what a conservative, quote-unquote, justice is. And, that, and they've deliberately gotten people elected where there's no doubt how they'll rule. That's the problem. Uh, but it's fascinating to see because the Mar new Marquette poll shows that 
uh, the public thinks Evers is the one who's willing to cooperate, and Republican leaders are the ones who are unwilling to, and they, they're trying to soften their image, but the, the public gets it, gets who these folks are. So they maximize their power in the lame duck, do everything they can to maximize their power. Now they lose this court case, and they have the audacity, Robin Voss, to demand that Evers not fill these positions yep. until uh, the court decisions are made, and then also refuses to um, go and confirm any of his other cabinet appointments. Meanwhile, Evers actually appoints, I think, roughly 62 people who they appointed, showing a real nonpartisanship, and just doesn't appoint the complete right-wing hacks, about 15. And so it's amazing that they would demand that, that Evers stand down when the whole history of the Walker years and of the Republican Party in recent decades has been to maximize and use all of their power to the utmost, regardless of where the public is, regardless of good government or anything else. Yeah, and Fitzgerald, if I'm correct this week, actually made a comment to the effect that he couldn't wait till Hagedorn got seated in reference to this, well, right? He's probably right. It's just scandalous. I, I, I know, but like, I'm sorry. <laughs> and said, thank God, yes. which is an interesting kind of, uh, uh, it, given that he ran on a right wing Christian conservatism, there's sort of, I don't, an unintended irony probably about thanking, you know, thanking, thanking the God that's intolerant of, of gays. Look, for I, thought, example. I thought this was important to talk about because we had just talked about the Supreme Court race, right? Where we're, we have our side that's talking about a non political independent. The other side is just flat out openly, like right after, right after the concession. Thank God, as it relates to an actual court case that they know how they're going to rule. It's right? Very it's much just... like Trump. I need an attorney general to do my bidding, which, <laughs> and, he's, yeah. which he's received. Right? Like this is a real court, like really moving, really happening, and they're just out front. Like, anyways, it just shows right how political our courts are. Um, and, of course, it, it's frustrating because of what just happened this week with the concession and everything. And we but haven't done a good job of making that an issue uh, at all. I assume that our political operatives that run these campaigns are unable to figure out how to cut the issue or find any of the polling that they spend so much on. But quite frankly, just the way that this Supreme Court rescinded our campaign finance laws and precedents for uh, that were decades old to to make Walker's action under the John Doe investigation legal when it was clearly illegal, that is stunning. We've never even made that case in a Supreme Court election. So when we come back, we're going to take a quick break here. We're going to talk a little health care. You're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin, where Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. So, Robert, this week, um, Senator Sanders and 14 other U.S. senators, including Wisconsin Senator Ron Johnson. Oh, I'm just kidding. Wisconsin Senator uh -huh. Tammy Baldwin uh, introduced this week a new Medicare for All bill uh, to sort of lay out what we might call as the gold standard or the vision of where we need to get. Very important this week. Well, we've all been long advocates of needing a gold standard, okay? So the public needs to know where we're trying to go, even if the political realities of Senate filibusters, everything else in our system, every quote-unquote check and balance from the 18th century uh, would make it hard for us to get there right away. We need a gold standard. We don't even know what direction to go if we don't have it. 
And so I and I think politicians should be signing on to the gold standard, not defeating ourselves, so to speak, and arguing that that it's impractical. It is very clear to most Americans that we need to stop making healthcare this area of like windfall profits, a voracious kind of profit taking, because when when corporate capitalists do that, they're playing with people's lives. And it's not just pharma insurance companies, it's hospitals as well. Uh, you know, we've had the, the very well-documented evidence that hospitals are functioning in many, many ways like a Wall Street-backed company. And the reason pharmaceutical prices go way up, like insulin, even though no new research is done, because they can do it. It is very much like selling uh, water for $1,000 a bottle in a drought zone, right? You need the insulin to live. You'll pay whatever you have to. And if some people can't pay it and don't live, then too bad we're making profit. And so this is wildly popular. And so Bernie Sanders, uh, Pramila Jayapal, and the, uh, the, the lead sponsor in, in, in the House, Tammy Baldwin, who also supports other reforms as well, right? She actually announced this week support for another Democratic bill that's moving, right? That's obviously not nearly as sweeping as Medicare for all, but certainly the point being we need to be out on a whole bunch of different options and show the public that there's multiple ways to make improvements, and we all know where Trump will be. And support the vision, but also all steps and direction of the vision, which is one thing Bernie's a little critiquable on because he's a little bit uh, too dismissive of major steps in that direction, which could be achieved quicker. Uh, that's where one way I would disagree with Senator Sanders, despite the fact that he single-handedly, let's be clear, has made this a top issue with his 2016 campaign, for which he deserves tremendous credit. So I'll throw that little tweak of him in, but will, in general, while he's you're, been extremely positive. Yeah, so while you're tweaking him, I, I he had a quote yesterday that I think was really good, and Robert, you were right on this, but it's the current debate of Medicare for All has really nothing to do with health care. It's all about greed and profiteering. It's whether we are going to maintain a dysfunctional system which allows the top five health insurance companies to make over $20 billion in profits last year, right? And that is part of the system, right? When you have massive profits being taken out, uh, the inefficiencies of that are bound to uh, cause a system that doesn't and cover everyone, is not as efficient. Let me say a little more about how bold this plan is so people understand that it really is a gold standard. Uh, it is better than any plan in the world, in a European country or another advanced Dutch democracy that has a universal health care system. The benefits package is broader. It has no co-pays and deductibles. These other systems all do. People don't realize that uh, the Canadian system has lots of holes in it. It's more like current Medicare. Uh, so it, is, it would be the best health care in the world. And why couldn't the alleged greatest country on earth have the greatest health care system in the world? I think that, I think that is the right aspiration. It also includes long-term care, and that is a huge issue. I mean, people literally are being bankrupted trying to get access to long-term care. There's a huge shortage of workers uh, to keep people independent in their homes, people with, who are disabled or, or are seniors. Uh, we've been pushing for a 50 minimum wage in the state budget for home care workers. Uh, Governor Evers put in very little. It's more than the Republican support, but almost none of that. And so it's important to also expand the definition of health care. Obviously, it also makes mental health, drug treatment, vision, dental, all of those things part of it, which would make it the best health care system in the world, which is something our country should aspire to. Yeah, and look, this vision's absolutely critical, especially we're going to talk later about when you're in the fight for the, what, what's really happening at the state level, like Badger Care for All and just how tough this fight is but without a vision like medicare for all it's really hard to 
to to keep keep clear as to you know why we're going to keep moving forward. So with that though, Robert, I want to change the topics to the MU poll. Um, the MU poll came out, and again, this is Marquette University Law School poll. Speaking of gold standards, whether it deserves it or not, it has really become uh, the top poll in the state because it's been over time, right? We're, we're it's done consistently. There's some very interesting numbers in there that I want to talk about. The first one is, since we care so deeply about the Badger Care expansion, we're going to talk after the break, um, talk later about uh, Joint Finance Committee, Badger Care accepting the federal money, uh, Medicaid money, 70% support in the Marquette poll. This is the highest it's Which ever is been. astronomical. And it, so, and this is also what's happening in Joint Finance Committee. We have witness after witness. Our count is... Uh, over 70 to nothing so far for Badger Care expansion, taking the extra Medicaid money to expand Badger Care. Question is, do Republicans care that 70% of voters want it and that witness after witness is coming out and no one is against it except the people sitting up on the stage? Yeah, yeah, no kidding. Um, the presidential race is, is of great interest, I'm sure, to folks. Uh, <clears throat> now that we have tons of Democrats in the race, so... Robert mentioned the red wave. If you see any of it, you'll in this poll, it, it shows up in in terms of not only Robert mentioned uh, who is more energized in terms of um, who would say that they would be voting, but also uh, uh, Trump's numbers. He's up a, a couple of points in this poll from January, but his approval ratings are at like 46 percent, which is just you know it's it's pretty pretty shocking um that he could be that high but nonetheless um and, and it's that why i talked about in the previous segment it's about non-college men yep and i know there's a lot of hangering about it it could get worse we've been saying this for a couple of years on battleground wisconsin the reason we have to worry about small town rural areas uh non-college men is not because we can't win elections without them now. We can eke one out, Evers won, while losing them dramatically. But that there's nothing to stop them from getting more and more right, and it's 30% of the electorate in Wisconsin. So it's just too huge a chunk to ignore. It doesn't mean selling out our values. It means actually making it clear to those folks that a progressive agenda, which we're not communicating effectively with, um, would actually improve opportunity, improve the lives for themselves and their families. And we're not making that case very well right now. So again, 46% approval rating for Trump. It's kind of a sobering number. Um, let's talk about the Democrats. Um, there is very interesting movement in the Democratic field from January uh, in, in the name of Bernie Sanders. Sanders was at 23% um, in the last poll. He is up to 32% uh, is the leading, and that's 32% who say that they are that their top choice. Thir another 39% say he's an acceptable choice. Um, so, and only 20% say they would not support him, which, by the way, is the highest number. Biden is 19, Warren is 18. The rest are all very small because hardly anyone knows them. But uh, so second in the poll is Biden at 29%, Warren at 17 Harris at 11 O'Rourke at 12 which is interesting, down two points. Again, that's, that's probably mm -hmm. just sample size right. error. So there's really no movement. Booker, 9, Klobuchar, 8, but, uh, Buttigieg, uh, 7, Castro, 4, right? So... Uh, the the real news here is is the move of Sanders up up ten points. That's a 
that's a that's a significant jump. The move of Sanders, which is odd, given that he it's not like he's a new candidate. Like it it shows that like I actually think talking about these issues and that yep. Sanders is out front on these issues is remobilizing people for why they really like this guy. Well, if you put Sanders and Warren together, who are the the left pole in a good way of this election of this whole primary, it's nearly fifty percent. So Biden's in a lot of trouble there, and we can dicker about how progressive Camilla Harris or Cory Booker is. I don't think people are voting for them because they want a moderate. They don't nope. really know where they are. And so if you want kind of uh, Obama third term, which is one of the things the Bidenites like to talk about, but not without Obama, that is not doing very well right now. Yeah, it is worth pointing out. Robert, you're right. Uh, people aren't going to them because they want some sort of mushy center. Uh, and Booker sees that Booker was signed on to the to the Medicare for All he's bill, supposedly for the Green New Deal. Yep. A so, lot of people have trouble believing he's for either one, but he he tells you that he's running on them where the electorate is. Yeah, and so that that's worth pointing out, right? In terms of where where this energy is, you see it in the poll. Sanders going up ten points does seem unusual at this time of year. So, I thought it was worth pointing out. Okay. And th- you know, there was a CNN. Uh, headline maybe over the weekend saying it, questioning is Sanders running away with the Democratic primary? So this is all, there's also been movement like this. I didn't hear the story, but it sounds like there's other reason to believe that 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 uh, Bernie is surging. Well, before we go, and we're going to have to wrap it up and take a break here. But um, this, I'm assuming most of this data is not really catching if there was any Biden issues and what came up last week. So. By this, this if Biden starts to go down, this could be signaling exactly what you said, where Sanders gets so far away, there's no way to catch him. Uh, could be, it's a little similar to what we saw here in Wisconsin, where Evers just sort of slowly pulls away, and there's so many other competitors, nobody else can really get oxygen. There's so many different choices. So uh, we may be seeing a somewhat similar situation lining up here in Wisconsin. With that, though, we got to take a break. You're listening to Battleground Wisconsin, we're Citizen Action. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. Again, we're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. So we are ready for our next installment. It's my favorite part of the month this year. And our, our, every month, we have the installment of Sarah, what the Gudluski does the state treasurer do? And Sarah Gudluski, state treasurer of Wisconsin, thanks for joining us. <laughs> Man, it's always great to be here. Well, well, great. So um, we are going to talk with you this this week about the state budget. Um, we've been going to we've already been to two of the joint finance committee hearings and hearing all the public testimony um, and what the public is very interested in versus what we think might actually end up in the budget. But we wanted to talk with you about your budget and what what you have in the state budget for the state treasurer's office because we have talked with you already about your aspirations to do more and make this office more, uh, much more of a fiscal muscle, right? I, I guess you could say. So tell us a little bit about uh, what, what you got in the state budget. Yeah, and I think, Matt, maybe too, something to highlight is really what I walked into, um, just what is status quo today. So I, I do think there's this perception that our office does have a handful of people and we're able to, you know, deliver the basics. But uh, my predecessor literally took his office down from previously what was uh, anywhere between 10 to 5 
full-time staff to one, <laughs> which is the state treasurer. So our total budget for the state of Wisconsin currently is $113,000. Um, and that include my salary, administrative expenses, the things we need to do across the state. Um, and what's I think so fascinating about this is, you know, part of the argument has been, well, this is big government. This branch of government costs a lot of taxpayer money. But the reality is, is that this office doesn't cost taxpayers a dime because it runs on the program revenue that it helps to oversee. So there's not general purpose revenue, money from tax dollars going into this office. It's actually the money that they work to earn to pay for it. So that's kind of just to, to set the record straight as far as uh, what we have, but also how our office is funded. Um, so moving from just me, what we have asked for, and um, we're really excited that Governor Evers um, has proposed, we are looking at ultimately uh, three staff um, to help us with constituent services. We get hundreds of emails and calls um, to help do our outreach and kind of going back to that fiscal responsibility and accountability that we talked about. Um, we're, we wanna like hire like a financial specialist um, and people who can kind of help us return money back to taxpayers. We run um, the unclaimed property program with the promotion of it. And we've already found literally thousands of dollars that has not been returned to taxpayers that we plan on doing a tour this summer. So um, two of the big things though that I wanna highlight, Matt, that's in the budget, one is with retirement. Um, so in Governor Evers' budget, he's also appointed us to a public retirement plan um, to help lead that effort. We know in the state of Wisconsin that over 51% of working Wisconsinites have less than $3,000 saved for retirement, which is alarming since we know that uh, people can't live on Social Security. That alone doesn't cover their medical expenses, doesn't cover their daily needs. And so what are we going to do? And so we're really looking forward to leading the charge on this effort. And again, this is something that's included in the budget that we hope is covered. Um, the second big additional responsibility that we um, are looking forward to leading is this student loan reauthorization task force. So there's currently... Um, money set aside for us to really look at what is this problem and how can we make sure that one in four Wisconsinites who have over $30,000 in student loan debt and who knows paying interest rates up to 15% uh, can actually handle that debt and we can successfully manage that so they're able to get ahead and own a home and potentially have a family. Um, we know these are big barriers, which is why people are leaving the state to go to places like Minnesota and elsewhere. So um, that's kind of a, a high level overview of um, what we are asking for. And we really hope that um, this budget process, um, we finally get the resources that people have asked for um, back when they voted to kind of keep this office from the beginning. Hi, Sarah. This is Robert. Uh, thanks for all you're doing. This is, I think, critical to revitalizing the role of government generally. I mean, the treasurer was supposed to be an independent check. This is part of what's gone on is a concentration of power in, in governors. 
and that's highly problematic. Governors cannot necessarily oversee themselves or their own Department of Administration if they're the ones potentially uh, making the bad investments or, or the bad choices, say, take the Foxconn deal. But I also want to, like, compliment you on not just student loans, but uh, you're the one constitutional officer that uh, really has a constitutional role that would, it would make sense for you to advocate for retirement security. I mean, what you're talking about the treasuries of the citizens of the state of Wisconsin and whether they're saving enough money in order to actually live a secure retirement. And that, that's a huge crisis, and it's not being addressed. I don't, the legislature is not grappling with that at all, and neither did the previous administration. So I think that's another example of how you can use this office for, for the public good. And, and I think to that point, Robert, this goes back to what why we've been lagging. I mean, state treasurers across the country have been advocating for these public retirement systems. But when we haven't been at the table, we've been falling behind. And so, um, yeah, to your point, uh, I'm really looking forward to pushing forth plans where other states are doing this. I mean, Oregon did this a few years ago. And literally within their first year of starting their public retirement plan, they had over 20,000 people sign up. I think they had like 26,000 people sign up and they saved over like a little under, I believe, $10 million. I mean, can, you can only imagine the impact that is going to have on Oregon within the first year and the things that we could do in Wisconsin with this. Uh, and to your point, Robert, like my role right now statutorily is I do serve as the treasurer for um, the state of Wisconsin Investment Board, which is the Wisconsin public retire or the Wisconsin private retirement system. So uh, it just makes sense that we continue to look at this issue and expand it to ensure all Wisconsinites have a secure future. I look, I, I think this is a huge issue. I can just say personally, it's something that I know, like my wife and I talk about, we worry about. I think a lot of people, doesn't matter where you are on the income, right? We do not have retirement set up in a way, certainly previous generations did, where if we're not all personally on top of the ball and also lucky financially, um, we can be in real serious straits. So I actually think this is something that's going to very much cut through. Um, I want to let our listeners know um, that... Sarah and the treasurer's office has produced really nice um, one-pagers, two-pagers, I guess you could say, on, on, on both of these issues and a couple others uh, that have also like a sample letter where to help you write your legislators that we're going to put links to on our podcast so you can get some more information if you'd like to help um, push for more funding for the office in order to be able to do uh, not only these two important issues, but other issues. Sarah, maybe you could talk a little more about um, what folks could maybe do if they want to, like, get involved in helping support your effort to expand this office and, and its budget. There are um, really, I think, a couple key avenues in which they can do advocacy. I think first to your point is um, on our website, and uh, thanks to Citizen Action for saving it, we've tried to make it as easy as possible for you to have all the information that you need. So we've written a sample advocacy letter um, and we've given you some facts. I think what we now really need is for that to get out into the public. Um, so sharing this on social media, actually writing your legislators and telling them that you really care about this office and that 62% of Wisconsinites didn't just vote for this to be an empty office. 
that you want the resources for it to actually be a fiscal watchdog for the people of Wisconsin, um, to actually participate in the joint finance hearings. Um, I was talking to uh, a constituent actually yesterday, Matt, about how they were really nervous about potentially going to a joint uh, finance hearing that's going to be in Western Wisconsin. And I said, look, I, I we actually wrote out talking points um, and this is something that you believe in. And so um, sharing that is really an important part of our democracy. And so whatever we can do to kind of activate and engage and educate um, is really important. So there you heard it. Um, get out to the well, you mentioned at Western Wisconsin, there'll be a River Falls joint finance hearing next, I guess it's Monday already. Um, and then Green Bay the following week, or is it later that week? The the, yeah, the following Wednesday. So uh, there are two more scheduled joint finance committee hearings. It's a great opportunity to get out and uh, not only advocate, like a lot of folks we've been turning out around Badger Care. You can talk about multiple issues and obviously advocating for, for this office and, and the funding that you need to actually do what we need done is critical. So with that, though, we got to wrap this up, Sarah. We really want to thank you for, again, for being our treasurer, but also taking the time to talk with us and let us know what's been going on. I appreciate you guys having me. It's always um, good to be here. And you hit the nail on the head, Matt. I think whatever we can do to advocate through the governor's budget is is really important. So please, everybody go out there. We can't do this without you. Great. Thanks a lot, State Treasurer Godlewski. We appreciate it. Welcome back to the Battleground, Wisconsin. Again, we're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. So we really want to thank the state treasurer, Sarah Godlewski, for joining us in the previous segment. And Sarah's right. you got to get out. you got to advocate for this governor's budget. If you are in western Wisconsin, you need to get out to the joint finance hearing if you can in River Falls. If you can't make it, they will still take testimony. You can submit it online. You can contact uh, your reps but it's very important to be advocating uh, around uh, the state budget. So, Robert, let's talk a little bit more about the Joint Finance Committee hearings. They started uh, uh, last week, uh, Friday, in Janesville, and yesterday, quite a, quite a scene in Oak Creek. Um, very crowded, very packed. Um, th- there is no doubt Badger Care has been one of the top issues discussed, uh, and great great turnout of Citizen Action members. We want to thank all of you who have showed up already and testified, put on the shirts, gone and uh, talked and told your personal stories. But Robert, give us an update on JFC. You've been to both of these. Yeah, and it's dueling between education and health care, with badge care expansion being the top health care issue, and um, Tony Evers' budget, but especially special ed, full funding uh, on the education side. There have been other big issues. Uh, Wisdom's done a great job bringing up mass incarceration, which is not done well in Governor Evers' budget, yep. uh, and also bringing up public transportation. Again, ACLU's gotten people out. Yes, ACLU yep. has been Penn, involved in, in, in that. education. Yeah, yep. so they've been working with uh, Wisconsin Public Education Network uh, on turnout. So these are big mob scenes. Uh, I'll say this. At least the Republicans sit there tentatively and listen, whether they're actually hearing is a total different matter because it doesn't seem that they care if, it, if an issue is running 
a hundred to one against them or to zero, uh, they st- they're going to do what they want. And there was no right wing mobilization. It's kind of fascinating. The right doesn't actually believe it matters apparently because their folks are up on the have a majority, a uh, twelve to four majority up on the stage. Uh, I think at the end of the day, it does come down to not persuading people, but convincing them that the political consequences of their not giving in are too dire for them to uh, not change their position. That's the only thing that's going to work. Otherwise, they, the right has an authoritarian streak, and they're just going to be the strict fathers and the deciders and do what's best for the state in their opinion and for their partisan advantage. Let's not pretend it's just about policy. Yeah, it's worth pointing out, Robert, you mentioned there is virtually, there's very little from the right or from conservatives at the at both of these hearings. A little um, bit of voucher charters still turn out, but and, it was a smattering. And even there, right, like, while those folks um, definitely are not with us on public education, I, I don't know that I'd necessarily describe them as the right or sort of corporate power, too. Um, the Hospital Association was there. I saw them. Um, it's interesting. I You know, they it kind of bothered me because they get up there and they all they do is talk about the rates, really, the Medic- that they're not paid enough for Medicaid. And they don't really advocate for accepting the federal Medicaid money. It's, the rates it's are galling too that high. It's uh, what the main thing Medicare for all will do, as we talked we talked about in the previous segment, is actually set the darn rates. It's yeah. the only way healthcare is going to be affordable in this country. And the hospitals are vehemently opposed. And they're supposed to be charitable organizations and have the audacity to whine about rates and dicker about them when we have 83,000 people without affordable health care unnecessarily. That was what was struck by me was I was listening to the testimony yesterday in Oak Creek. There were three, there was a hospital association, some hospital types up there. And, you know, just it was endless talk about rates and nothing about the coverage and people not having coverage and how important it was to accept the federal Medicaid money. How do they think they're getting rates, right? They mentioned, oh, we could get the increased rates, whether it's through Medicaid expansion or other ways, right? Like n- that Medicaid expansion that wasn't was critical. Revenue, shameful. Like, like doing something with just the Medicaid tax credit. Just shameful, given that they do right. get a lot of the money and they are doing well. The hospital, please, it's the one area if we're actually going to go after, after real costs, it's going to go after the hospitals. So, um, Actually, I just our little ugh. citizens groups are the ones advocating for the revenue yeah. that would make anything they want possible. They would never do that. They're very narrow. They operate like Wall Street firms. It's outrageous. They actually should not uh, have a uh, tax deductible status as charities. They don't operate as charities. In fact, in Milwaukee, they're busily building new hospitals out in the suburbs and and trying to reduce capacity or close them in the city. So one other issue that uh, want to talk about that's come up and has been very well, um, a lot of folks have come out uh, very well supported at the Joint Finance Committee hearings, and that is uh, immigration uh, issue, and that is licenses, uh, driver's licenses for immigrants. Um, we don't, we have not talked a ton about this issue. It is an issue we strongly support. Um, a lot of our members from Axion Ciudadana uh, turned out in Oak Creek in support of this, uh, in particular, uh, also, uh, one of our very strong leaders, uh, v- uh, Vico Miranda. And this issue is critical. And for folks who don't fully understand or appreciate it, um, it's just if you do not have the ability to get to work, you just, it just, it, it, it doesn't work. And in Milwaukee, where we have a, a, a large Latino population, 
we have terrible mass transit. We have terrible abilities to get, or, get, get around. And so if folks don't have access to, to driver's licenses, and this is something that they used to have, right? This was taken away. It's an incredibly economically stupid thing to do for the state, first of all. But just it puts the best people in our state, people that are you know, trying to make it, working, doing, you know, out there every day, and, and, and they're afraid of the police because they don't have a driver's license? It's absurd. It's, it's horrible for not only the economy, but public safety kind of relationships it creates. So, you know, really thrilled to see Voces de la Frontera, uh, ACLU, a lot, a lot of groups and other people who came for other issues speaking up and standing up in support of this issue. It's got to happen. It's a- absolutely critical. Robert, I don't know if you have any thoughts. Well, I can just tell you about public transit, which is, there's not anything dramatic uh, that would change, turn things around, and Tony Eaters' budget either is just slightly right. better. Uh, but I, by mistake, when I mapped out how long it would take me to get to the hearing, uh, had it on mass transit instead of on driving, and it was an hour and 45 minutes from the south side of Milwaukee, where I live, to a south suburb, Oak Creek. And then, oh, I put in the driving, it was uh, 18 minutes. So it's n- not workable. Uh, where a lot of the jobs are. And furthermore, this is uh, reflects on the national immigration debate where the right-wing view is to dehumanize people and to say that they're less worthy as human beings and don't have any rights. Folks are here. They're our fellow human beings. They're working. They're certainly being permitted to work, okay? They're being hired, right? But we're going to say that you're going to live in the shadows and you're not going to be able to drive a car. I mean, it's just unbelievable. And in fact, we need to get over the idea that there's different kinds of world citizens, right? That there are some that are, are Americans and have all the rights, and there are others who are not, don't, don't, are, do, do not have the appropriate documentation and therefore have no rights whatsoever and treated like second-class, third-class citizens, because yeah. that's what we're talking about here. And, you know, Christine Newman-Ortiz said something yesterday in her testimony. She was talking about the state being the dairy state, right? And it's iconic how we think about us as the dairy state. That industry doesn't function one day without immigrants, right? One day. And there's been so many stories about the pressure the dairy industry is under because of trade, the prices, all of that. Um, And then the notion that the people who are actually doing the work, we, we wouldn't even give them driver's license, that they could get to work to be able to you know, keep this critical piece of our economy going um, and just how large it is. Uh, there was someone there actually from the dairy industry, $19 billion industry, let's twice the size of the potato industry or their orange industry uh, is to uh, Florida. So it's a significant piece, critical part, doesn't function without immigrants. So folks, um, if, if this is something you care deeply about, it is important that you contact your legislators. This is the kind of thing we do have to go back to. It was, I think, 2007 that this change was made or shortly after or when, when they originally were uh, allowed to have uh, licenses. So um, that was one of the issues that I was struck by. Um, Robert, you mentioned education. I'm just, was, were there any other things that, um, oh, caregiver pay that was a was a huge, huge one and huge. it's something that citizen action members are advocating for we have a shortage of caregivers and home care personal care and uh we pay them very little and so uh it's not just citizen action mainline kind of a- a- allies like aarp are all over a 50 yep. element minimum wage and 
as economic development because they're all over the state. It would help the areas without good jobs if we did that. It would be mostly paid for by Medicaid. You would get a 60% federal match on top of anything you did in this area. And so there's, I mean, there, there's not very little. There's a 1.5% rate increase, not even dedicated to wages and Tony versus budget. So we need to be honest. Tony versus budget ought to be bolder than it is in this area. In fact, they probably went and threw a lot of money at provider types and hospitals to try to buy them off on Medicaid expansion rather than do that, which is very unfortunate. And then those jokers don't even have the nicety to come in and support Medicaid expansion. Oh, well, the thing about those guys in in discussions in broader healthcare world when you're talking about what will bring the hospitals around, what's fascinating to me is when this is described, that's all about the rates and the money. No one says, and these are very people who see them as very nonpartisan, oh, no, 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 they're going to look out for the public good. You can't say that about them. Everyone just assumes as default that they're operating at like, like the pharmaceutical industry. They're just looking out for that, where they can get the most money. I mean, that, 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 what does that say about these folks? Well, with that, we got to wrap up. We want to encourage our listeners in the northern part and western, northwestern part of the state to get out to these Joint Finance Committee hearings against River Falls on Monday, and then the following Wednesday, Green Bay, get on out. There's also a bunch, the Governor Evers has hearings, uh, and the uh, Assembly, or the Legislative Democrats are doing six hearings around uh, Medicaid expansion. So we have links to all that on our site. Check it out. Get out. Make your voices heard. This is a critical part of our democracy. Thank you much. We'll see you next week here at the Battleground Wisconsin 